sort of like Tony uh, Kim that you just heard, I'd never met Tony before, heard a lot about him from uh, common circles of friends that we have and that sort of thing, but uh, I grew up with a lot of questions about leadership. Uh, some people would tell me I was a leader, come on in. And other people would tell me I wasn't a leader and I didn't know what I was. And uh, I didn't know who was right and who was wrong and, and that sort of thing. So I, I found myself reading a ton uh, on leadership and studying it and go to conferences and everything else. And, uh, but it was one of those kind of things that uh, when all else fails, read the instructions kind of thing. And so I found myself going back to the scriptures and just saying, well, the one thing we know for sure is God is a leader. <laughs> okay? No matter who else or what else we know, come on in. We know that God is a leader. So how does God lead? Uh, has he said anything about leadership for us and that sort of thing? And uh, I'm going to have to cut some of this a little short because of our time, but uh one of the things I discovered as I went back through the Old Testament was, uh, come on in. One of the things I discovered as I went back through the Old Testament and then looked at the New Testament as well are some things about how God leads, if you will, something that's characteristic of him. Uh, and I saw it being very uh, different, diverse from a lot of uh, what I was reading uh, as well. So just grab a hand out there, and uh, it may help, it may not. I'm not sure what side of the brain I am working from here, but you do have a handout for whatever reasons. Uh, so what I just want to start off with, what are some of the common words, phrases, ideas that are floating out there today? Uh, a leader is or a leader does these things. What, what kind of words and phrases might uh, be common out there today. Passion, okay. Vision, vision. okay. Passion, vision. Problem solver. Problem solver, come on in. What was the last one? Dynamic. Dynamic, okay. Does it all have to be positive? No, no. <laughs> No. There's some people in leadership that are not. That are not. That are not good leaders. Not good leaders. What are some of the things? Oppressive. They, they're dictatorial. Okay. Um, they're not innovative. Yeah. So. I remember one of the first bosses I had. Uh, I think it was the second job I ever had. <clears throat> uh, he uh, showed me around uh, the. Uh, it was a large conference center uh, in another part of the country. And uh, we had five different camps. We had about, I don't know, 500 college staff that we hired for the summer to be counselors and all that kind of stuff. And he brought me in to be over all of those folks. And, and I remember that first day him showing me around and everything. And at the end of the day, he said, okay, Rick, your first assignment is to fire somebody. And I said, why? Uh, who? He said, I don't care who, and I don't care why. I just want you to show them who's in charge. Okay? That's that kind of leadership, uh, the oppressive, uh, uh, creating fear, and that sort of thing. Uh, that kind of a, of a leader. And he wanted me to be that kind of a leader. 
And I didn't last there very long because I said, that's not who I am. That's not what I think about leadership. Hmm? I fired myself. I basically did eventually. <laughs> Two years into that, I did. I really did. Uh, but there's all kinds of words and phrases, an influencer. I remember one of the common phrases I heard uh, growing up uh, and that sort of thing is, if you think you're leading and you turn around and no one is following, then you're not leading. Okay? Now, I had a problem with that as I began to think through Scripture and everything because when Jesus was in his trials, just before he was crucified, God stopped being a leader because there was nobody following even his closest disciple was standing in earshot from him, vehemently cursing and denying the name of Jesus. So not only not following, but denying, even knew him, and that sort of thing. So did God stop being a leader? So it raised all kinds of questions in the back of my mind of, what is leadership? Tony's talked about a lot of different facets and and areas that leadership affects, meetings and innovation and all of those kinds of things. What I want to do in here is just talk about sort of the essence or the core of what is a godly, uh, biblical kind of leader and that sort of thing. Uh, and that's what I have there for you. Number two, a leader from God's perspective is one who. And I just want to give you this real quick. It's one who is taking initiative for the benefit of others. Okay? It's one who is taking initiative for the benefit of others. For God so loved the world that he gave initiative, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but for their benefit have eternal life. God took initiative for our benefit. Okay? Does that mean everybody is going to experience eternal life? No. Does that mean God stops being a leader? No. Because part of leadership is taking initiative. Whether anyone follows or not. You can look at certain biblical characters. You look at Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah was appointed by God to be a spiritual leader for the nation of Israel for a, a long period of time. And yet Jeremiah is known for nobody ever following him. People ridiculing him, people putting him down, uh, people laughing at him. And he became a laughing stock within the nation many times uh, and that sort of thing. And yet God said, you are my leader. You are the one I've put there to be the spiritual leader in this nation uh, and that sort of thing. So he, what, did it, what did Jeremiah do? He took initiative to speak God's word to the people for their benefit even though they didn't listen. Even though God told them him many times, they will not listen and will not respond. But this is what I want you to do. Does that make sense? Taking initiative for the benefit of others. Now, number three there, I just talk about what are some alternatives to consider? What are some alternatives in our daily lives that we have to taking initiative? What are some of those? Passivity. I'm sorry? Status quo. Status quo. Okay, that's level one. Let's go a little bit deeper. I mean, that's the, those are some of the obvious and everything. 
What, what's a little bit deeper? What is an alternative to taking uh, initiative? Okay, you could raise up other leaders. I'm sorry? Resistance. Uh, laziness is a good one. Okay, sometimes we just get lazy. Uh, sometimes we procrastinate. We just, I'll do it someday or I'll get around to it. Um, there's a friend of mine that... Uh, I worked with in Indiana for years, a uh, number of years, and we have been close friends for the last 25 years. Come on in. Grab a hand yeah, out there. Floor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, and uh, every once in a while I'll think about Mike, and uh, I just think, you know, I need to call and see how Mike's doing. And... And I, I, for a long time, I'd find myself, well, I'll, I'm busy right now, or this isn't a good time for him. I'm sure he's at lunch on his time zone and, and all that. I'd put it off, and a couple of weeks later, I'd get this phone call from Mike. And I'd say, boy, I was thinking about you. I was going to call you. And after about the third or fourth time of telling Mike that, Mike said, I guess I just listened to the spirit a little bit better than you, Rick. I was the guy that mentored him, okay? And here he is mentoring me, teaching me, and saying, you know what? You need to take initiative, not be lazy, not procrastinate, not put off, that sort of thing. It's taking initiative. Do you ever have those promptings by the Spirit, I need to pick up the phone and call this person, or I need to go do this? I know I should. And we start coming up with excuses and reasons why this isn't a good time, I shouldn't do it right now, that sort of thing. Uh, that's not taking initiative, okay? That's taking an alternate route rather than taking initiative. And the second thing, for the, what's an alternative to consider for the motive of God's kind of a leader, of doing it for the benefit of others? What's a, what are some alternatives there? Selfishness, Selfishness doing it for myself. Okay, that's level one. Again, that's one of those real obvious ones that's good. It's important. But go a little bit deeper than that. What are some of the other motives? Guilt. Guilt. Okay. Rather than doing it for their benefit, uh, I may do it out of a guilty conscience or feeling like I have to do it out of guilt and that sort of thing. What else? Ego. Ego. Okay. Good. I remember when I was nine years old, I was a Cub Scout, and uh, I had one more thing I had to do out of my list of options to get my last badge for my sachet thing that we wore and everything. And one of those things that I could choose was to help a senior citizen in some form or fashion. And so I asked my mom to take me uh, someplace, uh, an intersection where there was a a retirement home across the street, and I, I stood there on the corner and waited for uh, an older lady to come along so that I could help her across the street. Okay? Now, from that lady's perspective, I did something really good. Okay? I was very kind, thoughtful. What was my motive? Did I really care about her? Was I really looking out for her? No. From God's perspective, I was doing that for my benefit. I was doing it for what I would get out of it. 
how people would think about me when I had my last badge and those kind of things. So our motives, the Bible tells us <clears throat> our motives are really cockeyed and we really don't even understand them ourselves. Uh, so motives are a difficult thing, but for, as pure as we possibly can, do we ever do anything strictly for someone else's benefit without expecting anything in return? There's a, there's a word for that that the Bible uses. It's called love. And I want to suggest to you it's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. Only God and those that have God in them are capable of that kind of love. True, pure, doing something for someone else's benefit without expecting anything in return. Okay? And uh, thank you very much. This is getting stuffy in here. Uh, but that's the idea. Now, number four is implications of this theology, theology of God, the leadership for Christians and the church, for the church today. And here's one of those implications. If I understand, if I'm defining the core or essence of what leadership is correctly, that means every Christian, every Christian has been called by God to be a leader. Okay? Every one of us. Not some people, and there's leaders and followers in the church and that sort of thing. Tony sort of alluded to a, a lot of that. And unfortunately, we often think about uh, it that way within the church, if there are leaders and followers. Now, does that mean, am I saying that there aren't any followers? I'm saying that sometimes following, the way we talk about it in our culture today, is a way of leading. When he talked about leading up, taking it... He's basically saying, I need to take initiative for the benefit of those who are my superiors. Okay? For someone else's benefit. Uh, and that sort of thing. So am I a follower at that point or am I a leader? From a biblical point of, point of view, I think I'm a leader at that point. I may have a different role, a different function. Uh, I may have a different personality, a different style, a different place on the org chart, or whatever the case may be. But no matter where I am... In a church, I ought to be a person with my responsibilities or whatever they are to take initiative for the benefit of others. It doesn't mean, doesn't matter if I get paid or don't get paid. Because I am a believer, God has called us to take initiative for the benefit of others. Now, what I've done because of, of time, I was afraid we wouldn't have a whole lot of time. The last three pages of this handout are nothing but verses out of the New Testament. Okay, that I, w I would encourage you to take this home and just go through and underline how they are examples of us being told to take initiative. What is the action we're being called to do, the initiative we're being asked to do, and for whose benefit? Just underline each of those two parts in those verses, and you're going to see it over and over and over again. We as Christians have been called by God and equipped by God because of the love that he's placed within us in the form of the Holy Spirit to take initiative for the benefit of others. Within the body of Christ, outside of the body of Christ. And what I'm saying is, you are a leader. I don't care what your role is. I don't care what your style is. The question is not if you and I are leaders. The question is... Am I going to be the leader God called me to be? Am I going to be willing to follow him and take initiative for the benefit of others? Okay?
Any questions? Let me just stop right there real quick and take some questions. Okay. Come on, you guys surely have some questions. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, some nuggets there. Again, is there any way of applying taking initiative for the benefit of others in the work world? Uh, in, in your work world, you have all kinds of opportunities. And again, sometimes we think about the church as being something totally distinctly different in its, uh, its otherworldly. And there is a sense in which truly it is because of the Spirit of God. But at the same time, uh, whether we like this or not, the well has an organizational structure. It has a program. It has all kinds of other things, just like work does. I haven't always worked in the church. Uh, I worked in commercial construction for a period of time. Uh, I went all the way from digging ditches to being a superintendent on a project, so huge commercial project. So I've done all those kind of things, and, and I had to choose every day looking back now to take initiative for the benefit of others or not. Okay. Now, sometimes I have to evaluate who the others are. Sometimes they're the client who's, who was building the building. Sometimes it was the people who were working above me, with me, uh, for me, uh, and that sort of thing. I had to ask those kind of questions. It became tricky at times when I felt like what was in the best interest of the people I'm working with conflicted with what was in the best interest of the client who hired us and everything. And that's where I had to weigh things. And those are some ethical decisions that I can talk about some other time, but that we have to evaluate those kind of things. And I want to say there's always a way to make that work both ways. It's not always comfortable, but there's always a way to make that work both ways. So I just think in terms of your boss, how can you take initiative for the benefit of your boss? For the people who are your peers, how can you take initiative for the benefit of your peers? And when Jesus talked about you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill for the world to see, so to speak. See the light of the hill. Uh, when you come into the valley at night, uh, uh, can you see the lights of Fresno uh, before you get here? Can you see the glow up into the the haze that we have here and, and that sort of thing uh, and everything. You can see that glow. God says, that's what I called you to be. So in our workplace, we are to be that kind of light. We're to be that thing that stands out. Why does he, why, why does he do what he does? And, and you're going to stand out in your workplace when you take initiative for the benefit of others because that is not common. What's common is passivity and selfishness. That's what's common and everything. But when we take initiative for the benefit of others, we stand out. We're a, we're a city set on a hill for the world to see. Uh, we're the light of the world. They look at us and they get a glimpse of what God is like, just a glimpse. What is he like? He's someone who has taken initiative for our benefit, and it stands out. It's something that is very drawing 
to other people around us? Great question. Let me apply that then, okay, whether it's in the workplace or uh, on the next page uh, in the 15 minutes or so that we got left. Uh, number five, four important ways for us to be taking initiative. And I'm using some words here that I'm defining. How are some ways we can take initiative for the benefit of others? And I'm saying there's some things we need to do if we're going to be able to do that well. How do I know who to take initiative for, what to take initiative in? There may be a lot of different options out there of things. If I'm in a workplace or I'm in a, a class at, uh, at the well and everything, there may be a lot of different initiatives I could take. What, how do I know what's the, what are the best initiatives to take? Okay? So... Uh, I've just put down four of them here, and I've defined them. And, and please look at my definitions compared to what you think they might be, because these words get used a lot. Awareness is the first one. Increasingly seeing and understanding the world around me and beyond me through God's eyes. Uh, that's awareness. I need to see the world around me through God's eyes. Uh, if you have been here for the last couple of weeks when... Uh, uh, you probably weren't, some of you weren't here on Wednesday night, but uh, Brad has talked for the last couple of weeks about, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, about really Nehemiah had tremendous awareness. He was constantly asking questions, looking into, researching, trying to find every way he could to see what was happening in Jerusalem from God's perspective. He wanted to see that. And as, you go, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, I just encourage you, look, think about these four things as, the, as they on Sunday mornings teach through Nehemiah and see how Nehemiah, awareness, he was constantly. What's the first thing, those of you who've read ahead or know the book, when he gets to Jerusalem, what's, what's the first thing that he does? He goes out by night and, and sees the wall for himself. Okay. He wants to see it. He wants to be aware. He wants to know the best he can what are the facts, what, what is true here. Not just what I've heard, but what is true. I think within the church, generally speaking, this is where we drop the ball first and foremost quite often when it comes to the whole area of leadership and everything. We assume too much. Uh, Tony said, you know, the old standby is readers, I mean, leaders are readers uh, and everything. And he says, I'm a leader, but I'm a learner. But what is he talking about? We're people who are constantly trying to understand the world around us from God's perspective. We're doing what we can. We're taking in information that helps us understand this world from God's perspective. What is the greatest resource to help us understand the, world's from God, the world from God's perspective? The Bible, the Word of God. He has given us His perspective on this world in, in uh, black and white. <laughs> He's shown it to us in black and white. And so one of the reasons for me that the Bible is so valuable is because it helps me to see life. It helps me see the world around me from God's perspective. And that's why I need to constantly be there uh, 
because the world is constantly giving me different perspectives, but the Word of God keeps bringing me back to God's perspective. That's where I need to be drenching myself. Uh, When it talks about being washed with the water of the Word, that means getting all the, the impurities out of my mind, getting all that foggy thinking, getting all the cobwebs that the world has built there for me. Uh, in its perspective, it's flushing all that out. And that's what the Word of God can do. Awareness is the first thing. If I want to be a person who's taking initiative for the benefit of others, and I want to know how to do that best, I've got to get some of the cobwebs of the world's way of thinking of what helps people. I'll never forget when I was in my 20s, realizing that one of the ways I could help my best friend was to say no to him. That went against everything inside of me. I wanted to do anything I could to help my friend. And so I found myself saying yes to him about things that were not in his best interest ultimately. But when I realized from God's perspective, not from the world's perspective, what was best for my friend, it made it much easier to say no to him. Say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to go with you there. No, I'm not going to, to be a part of this. No, I'm not going to help you in this. Does that make sense? But awareness helped me to, to know that, to, to, and awareness of God's perspective on that. Vision is the second thing. This word vision gets thrown around all, the, all different kinds of ways. Again, in Nehemiah, we're going to get there very shortly in chapter 2. Uh, Nehemiah gets to the city, and uh, one of the first things he says when he gets to Jerusalem and everything is he sees the elders, the the leaders of the community, uh, and that sort of thing. And, he, and in, I think it's verse 4, he says this. He says, I did not tell them, I did not tell them what God was putting in my heart to do in Jerusalem. Okay? He hadn't told them yet. Now he's going to get to that point where he's going to share that. But whose vision was it? Who? It was God's vision. We throw vision around as if it's something we come up with. And I think from a biblical perspective, vision, we ought to be asking God, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? One of the things that was so exciting to me when I, when I started talking with Brad and others in leadership here, uh, I said, where do you see this church in 10 years? And I love Brad's response. He says, I don't have a clue. Is that God brought us someplace I never dreamed of seven years ago. So I have no idea 10 years from now what it's going to be like. That's beautiful. Why? Because vision is God's perspective on what is going to be. And I need to get in touch with that. Again, the Word of God is so helpful to us to catch a glimpse of God's vision. What would Fresno and Clovis and Madeira, uh, what would these communities be like 20 years from now if God could make them the way he wanted them? If they were all following him, what would be different in this community? There might be some different things, huh? Can we be a part of that? Can we come to grips with that? Can we say, God, what part do you want me to play in that? And I can begin to do that. And it helps me again to narrow down 
what should I be taking initiative in? Uh, we just opened the, what's the, the what? Thrift store. We just opened. Uh, for some of you, that God has a vision for you there. There's something about that that touched your heart. I know when I was, my mom, who is 81 years old, is going to be moving down here in a few months. Uh, she's up in Northern California right now, but she'll be moving down here in a few months when we get settled and everything. Uh, she's already asked, pelted me with questions about the church and the community and everything else. And I told her about the thrift store, and it was funny because immediately my mom says, I want to go volunteer there. That's what I want to do. Uh, it, it just spoke to her heart. I mean, that's something she believes God wants to reach out to the poor, to reach out to the needy in the community. That's something that God cares about, among other things. But that's what draws her. God is placing something in her heart for her to do in Jerusalem, in Fresno, uh, when she gets here, and that sort of thing. Strategy. Increasingly seeing the strategic steps to fulfill God's vision and intentionally taking those steps necessary to get there. Really, strategy is just bridging the gap between aware of the way things are and where God would want them to be. So how do we get from here to here? And that's what strategy is. And that's a matter of prayer. God, how do you want us to get there? There may be 20 different ways that we could get from here, awareness of the way things are, to the way we believe God wants them to be. God, how do you want us to get there? What's the best way to get there? Okay? Now, I don't know that there's any magic bullet here. I've never discovered in Scripture, I've never discovered in my own personal life, a formula for always determining that right. Uh, if you want to know that one, you should have gone to Shay's thing where he's going to talk about determining God's will uh, and everything. But to me, it's, God, I, I, this is what I understand this is what I believe to be true about the way you want the future to be. And I'm stepping out in faith saying, I'm going to do the best I can. And I pray that you'll open doors, close doors, do whatever you're going to do to help me. And I'm, I'm trusting you're going to cause all things to work together for good in this. Even if I make some missteps, you're going to cause it to work for good. God, I'm trusting you to do that. Would you help me to do that? And so there's that aspect of things. And then the last one is courage, which for some of you uh, like me that think uh, linear uh, and everything, you're saying, now, wait a minute, awareness, vision, strategy, I can understand how that flows. Where does this courage seems like the, the odd man out? It seems like the, it doesn't belong there. It's, it's like taking one of those tests and it gives you four words and it say, which one of these words doesn't belong with the rest? And courage would not fit with awareness, vision, and strategy. But it's the silver line that connects all of them. Why? Because it takes tremendous courage to be willing to be aware of who I am and who I'm not. We spend a lot of time in the church helping people think through who they are. And we're awfully afraid sometimes to look at who I'm not. God didn't design me to be everything. So what did he design me to be? 
I was in that lead pastor role in churches and in ministries for a long period of time. It took a lot of courage for me to say, you know what? I believe that position is necessary. I believe that role is necessary, but that's not me. I am not Brad. Never have been, never will be, and it just hurts me and other in the church when I try to be something I'm not. It takes courage to look at who I'm not as well as who I am and to be honest about that. It takes courage to look at the community around me, to look at the church, to, to look at my relationships for what they really are. If you're married, it takes phenomenal courage to be honest about your marriage or your family. If you're not married, it takes tremendous courage to look at your relationships. You have, don't have, have had for what they really are. Uh, I remember getting a, before I got married, when I was still in college, I remember getting a card from someone. Uh, this will give you some insight into my basic personality, but I remember getting a a card where they had cut all the letters out of a magazine and taped them or glued them onto this card and everything. Uh, and it basically said, smile, it really won't break your face. Uh, I tend to be a very focused, serious person in my natural tendency and that sort of thing. And I was really into that at that point in my life and, uh, and everything. And it, it, it was like, wait a minute, I don't want to hear that. Who's this person that's saying that I needed to hear it? It took courage to look at it and say, you know what? They're right. They're right. I, I need to examine that part of my life. Vision. What God would like things to be like. It takes tremendous vision. It takes tremendous courage to, to look at the vision, that, the way things God really wants things to be in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my community, uh, and the, who he wants me to be. And that's, it takes tremendous courage to look at and be honest about that. It takes tremendous courage on the strategy and the things to step out and say, come and let's go together. Well, do you know for sure this is the right strategy? This is the right thing to be doing? No. Well, what if it fails? It might. Am I going to get hurt? Maybe. Is it going to be hard? Probably. But to say, let's go together in a, in a particular direction to get from awareness to vision. What's it going to take? Well, would you come join me? It takes courage to ask people to come with you when you really don't know. You're not God. You don't know this is the absolute perfect way to get there. And you don't know how many bumps there are going to be on the road to get there. Just don't know. This whole thing of courage is an interesting thing. I first uh, started getting into that when studying that. I was doing an a in-depth study on faith. And I kept finding this word popping up. And one of the interesting things about courage that I think the Scripture teaches is that courage, this ability to step into risk, fear, 
uh, and that sort of thing resides within every human person. It's like an ember that God has placed there. It's interesting, God never tells us to go find courage. When you study courage in the Bible, he says, stir up the courage that's within you. Take hold of the courage that's in you. God has put the ability for us to step into fear, into danger, into the unknown within us. And he asks us, would you be willing to do that? Now, God, the, the scripture is replete with all kinds of examples. And maybe we can talk about this some other time in some other place. But the Bible is replete with examples of how God stirs up the courage within us, how he blows on that ember within us to get us to be willing to use, to exercise. Another picture of this word courage is a, it's like a muscle that if it's not used, it atrophies. It's still there, but it, and the more we do use it, the stronger it becomes. The easier it is for us to step into, the, into danger, risk, the unknown, and that sort of thing. And God calls us to be who he designed us to be, uh, and that sort of thing, to step into those things. So, my time is up. Here's what I'd like you to do uh, by way of application. And you can do it or not do it. It's up to you uh, and everything. But I would encourage you, take a couple of minutes right now, and at the bottom of page two there, I plan to what? What would you, as you're sitting here today, you may have thought of some initiative you need to take with some person uh, and that sort of thing. Would you write that down right now? I plan to do this, take initiative in this way, for the benefit of whom? Okay? Now, one of the beautiful things about this is this is something you and I could do every day. I can ask myself at the beginning of every day, Rick, in what way are you going to take initiative for the benefit of someone else today? Who? What are you going to do? Uh, and what I have found in my own life is it is a tremendous uh, help to keep me focused on the right things, to keep me from becoming apathetic, self-centered, and those kind of things as much as I already am. It, it helps me from getting even worse. Okay? Just one thing each day. What, what is one thing I'm going to do today that I'm going to take initiative in and for whose benefit? Okay. Okay. Our time is up. Let me uh, pray for us and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for your word. I hope I've done justice to it. Uh, I pray that uh, you'd use these verses in the back here to make us all think deeper, fuller, more personally uh, about whether or not you've called us to take initiative for the benefit of others. God, I pray you would stir up that ember of courage to take initiative in that relationship that you may have placed on our heart, that person, that situation that you may have placed. Give us, would you encourage, would you blow on that ember of courage within us and help us to take initiative for the benefit of someone else today. In Jesus' name I pray the one who took initiative for our benefit.
In his name, amen. Amen.